Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Council for Foreign Relations is Elliot Abrams to talk about President Obama's newly announced policies towards Cuba. Elliot, welcome. Well, I'm glad to be with you. I'm not glad to hear about that announcement. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting because there are quite a few Republicans whose premises engagement, particularly economic engagement with Cuba, was the smart move all along, and that however uh, earnest this decision has been, this policy has been, it's been misguided. You don't agree? No, I don't agree at all. Um, first, the notion that if we engage economically, we'll find that there's political change to Cuba, progress on human rights, um, is not persuasive. And you can look at other communist countries like Vietnam and China, uh, which have made considerable economic progress but are still pretty terrible dictatorships. Um, I don't think the president really did this for any reason except ideology, frankly. Um, this has been a goal of the American left since the 1960s to eliminate the embargo. The terrible thing about the timing now to me is that, uh, you know, Castro has survived for about the last decade on Venezuelan oil money. He was really kept afloat by Hugo Chavez and aid from Venezuela. And now Chavez is dead and the Venezuelans are coming on to real hard times because of the collapse in oil prices. So we have a moment here when we have considerable leverage on Cuba. Instead of using that leverage to try to get, for example, political reform, human rights improvements, uh, we just substitute for Venezuela as a, uh, as a source of backing for the regime. Why do you think it is that we wouldn't, as you pointed out with, uh, with the changes going on around the world in this moment, why wouldn't we do something as basic as, yeah, we're ready to open the door, all we need to see are you know, steps one, two, and three towards uh, a representative democracy? Why not? Well, you know, I think in the prisoner exchange today, uh, that was a bargained-for exchange. The, we let three spies out. We got one spy back and Alan Gross. It's a bargained for exchange. Um, in, the, in the case of the embargo, the, or the near elimination of the embargo and the opening of diplomatic relations, there's no bargain here. We just gave it to him as a gift. And I think the reason, I think the answer to your question is, it's a matter of ideology for the president as a member of the American left. This, the, the left has blamed the United States from the 60s for the nature of the relationship with Cuba. They've always opposed the embargo. Castro, for a very long time, has been a romantic figure to many people on the left um, around the globe and even in the American left. It's all our fault. Uh, It's what Gene Kirkpatrick once called the blame America first view. And I'm afraid the president fell into it in the case of Cuba. He wanted to eliminate the embargo because he wanted to eliminate the embargo. Um, and what, what benefits this might bring to the United States or to the people of Cuba don't seem to have factored in very much. I mean, the, the White House has, you know, lines that they can deliver to you explaining how this is going to be great for everybody, but none of that is persuasive. Uh, in fact, let me just mention one. The White House spokesman today said, you know, this has been a big thorn in our relations with Latin America. Now they'll improve, and these Latin countries are going to help us put human rights pressure on Cuba. Surely no one really believes that. This is nonsense. Uh, Rousseff in in Brazil and Bachelet in Chile and and these uh, leftist dictators in Ecuador and Bolivia and Venezuela, they're going to help us now put pressure on Cuba. It's nonsense. 
Oh, I don't know. You know, the way that uh, Russia has been able to help us in Ukraine, I'm sure, is very similar to the way they will help us in Cuba. Well, it's of a piece. You know, this, this, we do this outreach, or the, the president has. He tried Russia. It didn't work. He tried Iran. The Ayatollah doesn't seem to want it. Um, he tried Syria. That's now a humanitarian disaster. Well, now he's trying Cuba. And in this one, uh, the Castros did not push back the way the Iranians have or Putin has. And I think the reason they didn't push back is they're on the ropes. They can read oil prices as well as we can, and they can see that the subventions they've been getting from Venezuela are uh, really unreliable. So they decide now's the time to do a deal. And they finally have an American president, uh, not Kennedy or Johnson or Carter or Clinton, counting the Democrats. They finally have an American president who, for what I believe are ideological reasons, wants to do it. And so he does the deal. Okay, so what we are here, and this is the president, and so for the next years this is going to roll out. Is there a smart way for Americans to use this? I mean, for example, could the business community, uh, you know, maybe step into the gap and through their own carrots and sticks put pressure on the Cuban government for change? Yes, but they won't. I mean, that's really not the job of the business community anyway. That's the job of the president and the Congress and the, and the United States government. You can't really ask businessmen to substitute politics for the goal of, you know, of gaining profits for shareholders. Um, you can ask American citizens to do that. Um, under the change in the embargo, pure tourism is still not permitted, but they've widened the number, the categories of Americans who can visit Cuba. Now, if you really want to go, you can find an excuse. You can find some club uh, or church or synagogue or union or something that, that, you know, will organize a trip. And what I would say is if, if you would not go do tourism in, in uh, uh, communist Russia, if you would not go do this kind of tourist trip in apartheid South Africa, then you shouldn't do it in Cuba. And if you're going to go to Cuba, you should make it a point to see the dissidents and to uh, encourage them and to show solidarity to them rather than sitting down with regime spokesmen, uh, which is, I think, unfortunately, what a lot of, um, of visitors actually do. They just get led around by uh, regime tourist guides. Uh, my uh, wife and her family are very, very puzzled by the uh, approach of the Obama administration to Israel, which they see as so... Uh, uh, contentious, you know, so much difficulty. And uh, one of them said to me earlier today, why can't Israel get the treatment that Obama's trying to give Cuba, Iran, and Russia? And that it does seem to be the case that friends aren't treated like friends and enemies are getting great deals right now. You know, when I travel in the Middle East, this is what I hear from Arabs and Israelis, precisely this. And in fact, I think, you know, if you're, a, if you're an American ally near China, or an American ally near Putin's Russia, or if you're the Emirati, Saudis, Jordanians, Israelis, you're counting on the U.S. for your security. What do you think when you wake up this morning and see 55 years of American foreign policy gone in an hour? Uh, I wonder how this affects your view of American reliability and your view of the value of being an American ally, because I think what you're saying about this, your your wife and her family is really quite right. Uh, no, uh, I mean, the president spoke to Raul Castro, we were told today, spoke to him yesterday. They were on the phone for close to an hour. Of course, that includes translation. 
um, so let's call it a half an hour of dialogue, it looks as if it was a much warmer phone call than the president has had uh, with, with the Israelis for a while. It's extraordinary, and it, and it has an impact on every country that's part of the American alliance system, and, it, and it's a very deleterious impact. Well, this brings us to the last question. I really, we really push your time here in the podcast. When do I get my Cuban cigars? Because that's what this is all about to me, Elliot. I can be honest with you. I want to cut straight to that. When do, when do my Cohibas show up? It's an interesting question. It, it, as I understand what they're doing with the embargo, um, there would be a lot freer trade. Now, Congress, of course, can try to block that. Um, but uh, the, the administration has tended to open up as much trade with Cuba as it can. And I guess what I would say to you and other cigar smokers is be careful because there's a guy in Cuba who's earning basically 10 cents an hour to produce that cigar. So wait until you can have a cigar from a free Cuba. Meanwhile, the Dominicans make pretty good cigars. Yes, they do. And the Nicaraguans, I'm a big Padron guy myself, actually. Elliot Abrams, thanks so much for your insights. We appreciate it. Happy to be with you. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.